We are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, books, spoken word, different experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Did you write that down first, or was that off the top of your head? Oh, baby, it's off the top of the dome. That was that was even more moving than that speech Captain America gives near the end of Winter Soldier, where he's like, the cost of freedom is high, but it's a price I'm willing to pay, and I'm probably not the only one, because the movie's called Captain America, so probably going to help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was better than that. It was. Oh my gosh! Thank you're, you. You're the real uh, Captain Marcus, America? Marcus and McFeely. Oh, and Captain America because you you wrote it and you wrote it in your head. Yes, and you delivered it. Thank you. So you're really you're all of it, and you're self directed. So you're also the Russo brothers. Oh wow! You're lavishing all this love on me. It really makes me think of today's topic. Today we're talking about the Thirty Six Questions musical podcast. It's a creation by Two Up Productions. Uh, it is starring Jonathan Groff, uh, as you might know him from Hamilton or Frozen, and uh, Jesse Shelton, who uh, she is right now in the ensemble for Hades Town. Uh, so she's uh, she's a little lesser known, but she's amazing. She has a very like Nora Jones feel to her voice. Nora Jones, there were moments that reminded me very vaguely of uh, Regina Spector. Ooh, yeah, I could see that too. Um, so guys, don't be sleeping on Jesse Shelton. She's amazing. She's really, really talented. Um, this is written, composed, and directed by Ellen Winter and Chris Littler. So this was made in 2017. It took about a year and a half to write and, and put together. Uh, they sold Jonathan Groff on it because he was really interested in on, on this idea of a podcast musical, which is, as they would say, the first of its kind. Um, like, I've, I've heard a musical improv podcast, but not a full musical told in the form of a podcast, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought this in, so I'm going to do a quick pitch. You ready for this, baby? I hope so. Guys, if you love musicals and you love amazing sound design you love heart-wrenching character studies and the convenience of listening to it from wherever you are for free you are gonna love 36 questions i I love things that i can engage with wherever i'm at for free exactly that's the dream isn't it yeah you're describing a perfect utopia that was (laughs) redundant no you know, because they're imperfect utopias. No. They're called dystopias. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is based on the 36 questions that were... It's, a, it's a, a thing that went viral a few years ago. So this is a real thing that I apparently completely missed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, like... It's a study that was done by a psychologist named Arthur Aaron. Um, the full study is called The Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness. The idea is that asking these 36 questions with someone will essentially create instant love between the two of you. It doesn't have to be romantic, but it is 
something that people will sometimes do on dates just to like have a sense of vulnerability and intimacy with their partner. What uh, What's it called again? It is called the Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness. See, maybe that's why I missed it. It sounds like some shit for smart people. I mean, it's them, made by a psychologist, for man. For them coastal elites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, a bigger I, fan of the inland elites. <laughs> but I, uh, no, I completely, I completely missed this. Um, I mean, I feel like it is something that, like, it was viral for a little bit, and then it kind of disappeared into the, uh, you know, into the dark depths of the internet. Where do memes go when they die? I feel like they go into a, not even a graveyard, they go into a, just a big body pile. And then at some point, like they're, they might get reanimated and they like crawl out of the pile with like little pieces of the other one stuck to them. And then they, they get to the top and resurface and almost like grow out of the ground like a plant. And then people are like, Hey, I remember that nice throwback. And then it dies again. Wow. Yeah, it's gruesome. That's pretty bleak. I mean, that's what happens with memes, bro. The internet's a rough place. So, Lex, this was your first time listening. Yes. What are your initial thoughts? So, I didn't necessarily know that this would be for me insofar as I am not a big audio fiction guy. I don't know why I find it a little bit difficult to key into sometimes. That's okay. why like if I listen to an audiobook, I'm usually going to listen to nonfiction and read the fiction instead. It's just always for whatever reason been easier for me to engage. Okay. Um but I mean, suffice it to say I thought this thing was really great and really impressive. You commented on the sound design and that's what that to me is what made the entire thing work because that's the writing is great the performances are great the music totally totally works what sells it is that is is that sound design that creates a truly immersive experience that actually places you there so you feel to an extent like you're in it with them the the gimmick right the device is that they're recording into an old a now old iPhone. Right. So you're getting all of the ambient sounds, whether it's weather, whether it's uh, things being jostled around, or whether it's things you know crashing, or whether it's a drink being poured. There's a, I think, in the second second act, because it's three parts. Yeah. In the second act, there's a there's a portion where drinks are being poured, and I had that that thing people seek out ASMR for. Uh huh. It's just all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's, I don't know what that sounds doing in my brain, but it feels. Great. <laughs> but but the sound design to me really elevated it and and turned it into something that I couldn't not engage with. Yeah, you know. So no, I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was uh, what wh- how do I express it? It it interrogates or it it makes you think about different facets of love, different elements of love, and how that can affect people, how people respond to it, how. People can move towards certain certain versions of it and away from certain versions of it without giving you hard answers because right. there are there are no easy answers. That's confusing. Without giving you solid answers because there are no easy answers to questions like the ones posed either implicitly or explicitly by the story they're telling. Right. And I really appreciate that by the time you get to the end, and I'm not going to you know, uh, we'll we'll talk about it in more spoilery detail in a few minutes. But by the time you get to the end, I love that it doesn't come down firmly in any one direction. It leaves right. it leaves enough open 
for both the characters and for the audience, the listeners, to go some version of, okay, well, how how do how would I handle a situation like this? How would I feel about it? And how then, based on my responses to that, how can I track my own relationships and, and the complexities of the relationships in my life, whether they're romantic or otherwise? Mm-hmm. And how... Because this this stuff's complicated, bro. Yeah. Did you know feelings are, are fraught? What? What? Uh, what? But so that's that's what I, I found myself doing as I, as I was... Uh, walking around in this world sound design like you you put on some like good noise isolating headphones close your eyes you feel like you're there you can see it all very vividly because of that sound design so being in this space with these characters and having an opportunity to to reflect personally on a lot of the ideas and questions being posed uh very very this is cool I'm yeah. going to go with a real facile, nondescript word. I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it cool because I'm a smart person who Damn. knows words. <laughs> um, but I, I liked it a bunch. And and to reiterate, I really appreciated that it does not offer any easy answers, both for the characters or the listener. Yeah. Um, and just so people have context, I'm going to give a non-spoiler synopsis of like what the general gist of it is. Yes. Um, so if you haven't listened yet, um, the general gist is that uh, the main characters are uh, Natalie Cook, who has been essentially hiding her true identity of Judith Ford. Yeah, she ain't no Natalie Cook. Uh, Natalie Cook is an invention. She's, she is. It's a facade. Yeah. Uh, from she's been hiding it from her husband of two years and he finds out and runs away to his childhood home and so she decides that she's going to use the 36 questions uh, in order to try to save their marriage right because on their first date they asked each other those 36 questions right so in her mind I'm going to go track him down and introduce him to the person that I actually am and via the 36 questions we can in effect hopefully start over yeah so um that's the that's the general gist um the things i really like about it in addition to the sound design is just the acting is so specific yes and there is such a history that you get even from like small involuntary like noises they make Mm -hmm. um there's a moment in the song for the record Mm -hmm. this is when they like really start going through the questions um and they are answering, I believe it is answer number six, which is um, if you could maintain the body or the mind of a 30-year-old for the next 60 years of your life, um, which would it be? And um, they give their answers. And when Jace, played by uh, Jonathan Groff, repeats back uh, Judith's answer, she gives a little like, squeal mm-hmm. um and those little things yeah um you you wouldn't even realize that they are essentially between big sheets of plexiglass like they feel so intimately connected yeah um that whole thing is really what drew me in and makes me relate to these characters because you you understand their perspectives you you feel it in their voice and you can tell that like they as actors went the extra mile knowing that this was an audio only platform to really try to convey that as much as possible through their actions and their words. Right. And, and interestingly enough, 
you don't feel or I didn't feel like I was missing the visual component past a point because the performances were so specific, sold it so efficiently that I feel like, honestly, I couldn't necessarily, I wouldn't be able to pick either of these actors out of a lineup because I don't, I'm not actually familiar with their faces. Yeah. And yet I could picture these characters vividly mm-hmm. and you could see them interacting and you can almost see the the physical ticks because the the verbal ticks or the audio ticks were so 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 specific oh yeah and there's this intimacy there that uh, it makes sense they were ma- they fell in love and they were married for two years before he found out that she had been lying about her identity right but there is still that that intimacy there like he uh jace wants to hold back right but he, uh, he can't help himself because he's still so drawn to her despite the way he's been lied to. Right. And you can feel that and and vice versa. She's still so drawn to him despite the fact that, well, she lied to him a whole bunch and also then he completely ran off. And feeling that and their the way their performance is sell it, it also makes it really, really easy to, in effect, fall in love with both of these characters as a listener. Right. Very quickly, it was so, so, so easy to root for both of them. Not even necessarily to root for them to resolve their issues and get back together but just rooting for the two of them as individuals it, mm-hmm. it became very difficult not to actively root for both of them right also uh jace takes care of a duck which is <laughs> yes. great but yeah so i feel like this is the, a good moment to start dropping down that spoiler wall um so guys if you have a chance listen to the podcast it's on itunes you can also catch it on the two up main uh, webpage, which also has the links out to wherever you, it's available. It's on Spotify. You can also, if you love the music, once you listen to it, um, the music is on Spotify and iTunes. So you can also get that as well. But I highly recommend listening to the, the full three act. It'll be three hours of your life. Doesn't even have to be uh, all at one time, but uh, I highly recommend it. I found this because I heard the first song randomly on my Spotify it came on as a suggested track and I was like this sounds cool um, and then I got further context and it was even better than I even thought it would be mm-hmm. um, so I highly recommend it we're going to talk about spoilers or like the overall ending and things of that sort so I, I, I want to give you a chance to like experience it for yourself before we do so um, so do that come back if you haven't had a chance it's super accessible and the spoiler wall is down. Oh, there it goes. Yep. Um, so yeah, I um I I also, as you were kind of getting at, like that there are no definitive answers by the end. Um it it because it lets you kind of figure out how you want it to end, really. Mm-hmm. Um or if you feel like you don't need to know and uh, that's all you, that's all you you need at that moment, then that's all you get. Right. Um, because so the way that the whole story goes is like they start going through the questions and they they make it through about the first 20 um, and then shit gets real. Um, they they make you feel like they're about to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And then when Natalie slash Judith, uh, decides to when when Judith asks if this is them like getting back together, 
uh, Jace becomes a, more non-committal, mm. um, and he reveals that, you know, rightfully so, that he feels like he can never trust her again. Like even if they were to reconcile, like he he will never really know what's true and what's not. Right. Um, and earlier in the in the musical or in the story, she also admits that like she's really struggling to make sure that she doesn't lie in in answering these questions and trying to reconcile. So it's like, it's a place that they both kind of need to grow through, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is great that you get that split where um, after he runs away from her again uh, and she essentially leaves the phone with him, you get a seven year period in which, or I guess nine years, you get nine years in which you kind of live through Jace's life of, going back and and listening to the first two acts of the the play and then kind of reconciling with himself that he wants to reconnect and finish those questions and and you get this moment in the song called listen back Mm -hmm. um where he is talking about how he's grown and how he he she was right to give him that space and that he's now ready to really confront those feelings Mm -hmm. Um, but the way it ends is you don't know how it ends right? in that they talk about how truth is subjective, but, uh, that's where it ends. You don't know if they get back together. You don't know if they become friends. You don't know if they stop talking or if they like rekindle their relationship. You don't know, but it's for you to kind of like let your mind wander or give yourself whatever you want to have from them. What? where where do you see it going because it is it is a very ambiguous ending do you have do you have a preference like would you like to see them reconcile or do you think it maybe is better if they go their separate ways um i i don't know because you the the last time or at this point that you meet natalie um or judith but the last time you meet Judith, she has officially changed her name to Natalie. Um, so the last time you meet Natalie, you don't really get a lot from her. She's very hard to read. Mm-hmm. Um, like she seems very friendly. She seems nervous, but she doesn't necessarily feel super amicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that at this point, after nine years of not speaking, they're different people. So they'd essentially have to start from scratch. Right. Like Jace went and lived a whole other life. An old girlfriend came back into his life. They hit it off again. They got married. They had a kid. So he's got a five-year-old son at this point. Yeah. And then their relationship implodes a little bit and they split up. But he's he's lived a whole separate life at this point. And she has as well. It's just we don't spend that time with her. We then hear about it as he's hearing about it. Right. So, I mean... Basically, I don't know where I stand. I think that like, I think that there is a chance that they could reconcile. I think that there's a chance that uh, they they could essentially start talking again. But like, it's it's also a long distance thing, and they're both in different places in their lives. Um, so I would love if they became friends, yeah. um, and I would love if they were able to re get to know each other that's that's where i'm at as well do you think if you're in jace's position though do you think you could enter into that again 
like knowing what he knows and understanding what he understands now, even after that long period of growth. I think that like because they've had the long period of growth, the idea of being able to get to know each other from zero, they have that opportunity. Whereas I think that if they had jumped right back into it in the midst of like act two, when they're, they're really like still uh, tentative, but getting drunk and, and making out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it would have imploded it much bigger then. Um, so I think that they have a better potential of making it last now than they did then, but I don't necessarily know if that's best for them. I don't know where Natalie is at this moment. Right. So like Natalie could also be married. Like who knows what she's doing? Right. We really don't get to know much of anything about her new life, except that she travels a lot for business. Right. Which we've been given enough context up to this point that for all we know, that might not be true. Yeah. But I'd like to think that she spent the last nine years figuring herself out um because like the thing that the thing about this that resonates with me is that i feel like i have been and in some ways am still both jace and natalie okay um in that i feel like like everyone who is trying to put themselves out there like i feel like i've i'm someone who has tried to be people i'm not Mm-hmm. And put that forward instead of like who I truly am, which is where I resonate with Natalie. But like, I also feel like I resonate with Jason that like I'm very trusting. Um, and so, like, I will open my existence and I'll, I'll try to be as forgiving as possible, but that also can lead to heartbreak. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a coward <laughs> um, and try to avoid confrontation, um, like Jace. So I don't know. I think that that is, I feel like it's two parts of my existence fighting one another. Right. I don't know at any, at any point that I specifically saw myself as either character, though I do find both of them incredibly empathetic. Yeah. And it, it, there were a number of times where I, I was listening to the way that they were communicating and the moments where it was effective and the moments where it, it wasn't and the things that made the characters defensive and the way that they themselves tried to work through their defensiveness and the way the other character would be trying to break through their defensiveness, yeah. the way things would escalate, the way things would subside. Those moments made me think a lot about like my own relationship and how like I've been in a relationship for several years now. Mm-hmm. And you know, they tell you that like real grown up relationships are work. It's work all the time. And that's true. And that doesn't mean that everything's hard. Everything's a slog. Like that's how you make a relationship work if your intention is, is to grow with each other. Right. But something that it took us a while to get even somewhat correct mm-hmm. was our, our communication. Yeah. And so much of it is because, you know, especially now we're, we're not 17 anymore. Uh, people, if you enter into a relationship now at our age, people have histories, people have past experiences, they've been formed certain ways. And some people bring, um, let's say like if they experience trauma, there are certain things that you are, you then become conditioned to do as far as putting up certain types of defenses or the way you respond to certain things. So in my relationship, there was a long period of trying to figure out 
how uh, mutually, I think, uh, how to stop your walls from going up so quickly, how to put ego aside and actively listen and, and how to try and try and internalize, how do I put this? Try and internalize the positive and not take the negative so personally, right? et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's constant. It is constant. Well, not all day, every day, certainly, but it's always something that you have to be attentive to right. and aware of and you genuinely have to consider the other person you genuinely have to be willing to check yourself and to be checked and that is what I found myself doing as I was listening to the two of them it just made me think frequently of moments in my own life where I where I in my relationship the two of us have had to work through some big communication issues and there were there were moments where you could see one character getting defensive and another character responding. And especially when things like in the second act start to escalate, you could almost see it coming. Yeah. Because there was stuff that was like, Oh my God, this feels not the conversation itself, but some of this feels, you know, feels familiar. Right. And so you see it and you just want to like jump into the story and be like, no, (laughs) somebody stop talking for a second. Stop. And it, it, makes it so much more painful when he actually leaves again. Yeah. Because you can see it coming. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it, it really did. Like it made me think of moments where it, 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 you, you have to make a conscious choice to want to put the work in and right. to be in a place where you can put the work in. Yeah. And, and I think about moments where if we hadn't both in my relationship, hadn't both been willing to put in the work, one or either of us could have split at a certain point. Yeah. You know, so so you see those moments coming and, and on the one hand, you just want to yell like, don't do this. This is not a constructive, healthy approach, but it makes it so painfully relatable. Right. Especially because by that point in the story, you're already rooting for these characters super, super hard. And again, mm-hmm. not rooting for a specific resolution, but you're rooting for both of them as people. Yeah. So like when you see that train coming really quickly you just you want to shake them you kind of want to shake them but part of yeah part of part of what helps me connect to those characters is i think of all of those moments from my life where it's Mm -hmm. like we had to make an active choice to put ego aside listen and consider the possibility that our approaches to the situation may not be constructive may not be beneficial may not even be the healthiest all the time yeah and i'm just going to speak for myself in that regard, because yeah. I'm not going to come on here and be like, she's like this and shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking for myself, there have been there have been a lot of those moments. Yeah. And and you really do have to be willing to set aside your preconceived notions, set aside ego, set aside the, the even if you're really convinced you're right, set aside this this preconceived notion that just because it feels right to you means it must be the right thing and consider right. the possibility that the other person has a real valid take on what's happening Mm -hmm. and even if they even if they don't even if they're way out of left field have the patience to clear your mind don't don't jump on it and be like you're crazy you're wrong whatever because that just escalates everything way faster yeah surprise be be willing to to hear each other out and be willing to be willing to work be willing to put the work in yeah and the 36 questions are a really fascinating device to that end because the whole point is asking questions listening to 
the answers. And I love uh, within this story, there are moments where they feel like they're really bonding. But mm -hmm. in those moments, uh, outside of the framework of the questions, there is a there's a bit of um, tension. T tension. Well, they're both they both at different points feel very tentative about it. Yeah. Even when they're they're being they're becoming a little bit more intimate even when they they talk about like they were just making out and stuff like he kisses her still it never felt to me like either one of them was sure about that aspect of it mm -hmm. and their communication reflected that whereas within the framework of the questions up until the point where things implode and especially in that last scene where they finish that's where it actually genuinely feels like the communication is honest and consistent and they yeah. are actually listening to each other even when one or either of them has to jump in and be like that's not the question right they're they're actually listening and engaging and when they call each other on their dodges for example the other person actually listens like they, there are moments where they clearly don't like it mm -hmm. but the other person actually listens and takes it into account and adjusts yeah you know and if only they had that malleability in their other interactions story may have played out differently right even considering that she did lie about her identity for two years which is a big deal it is a big well i guess the question is lex do you feel like if let's say that you found out that your significant other was had been lying for two years about who they were and then gave you context for the the background of it do you feel like you would be able to forgive her for that or how do you feel like you would deal with it i like to think that i could process it and if the justification for it was that this is essentially my way of coping with trauma i feel like i could forgive yeah i feel like i could understand at the same time I don't know that I could ever feel secure in that relationship again because how if you're willing to deceive me willfully about something as massive as your identity yeah how am I going to be able to trust going forward right you would you would almost like it, it seems like there's a chance uh, that they do at the end of the story you would have to start from zero mm -hmm. and get to know each other all over again but even then I am not super duper convinced, though it is possible. I am not super convinced that I could ever feel, even if we started from zero, I don't know that I'd be able to trust. I feel like even if I recommitted, I feel like somewhere in the back of my head, there would always be this little voice that's like, but how do you know that's true? Right. How do you know that's true? How do you know that's true? And that's a great way to go crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's not a healthy dynamic. So the honest answer is I don't know yeah. if I if I could make that work, if I could go back into that situation knowing what I would then know. But that's sort of the point, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Like there is no easy answer to that question. But it's but it makes you think, right? Like it really like this story really does make you think. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, what would I do in that situation? I have no clue. I have no clue at all. I don't know. I think that's interesting. No, it's great. Because uh, I also have no idea. Like, I, I I, like to think that I'm woke enough to be like, yo, let's, after some time, we can be friends, etc. 
Um, but like, I I've been I've I guess I've been in relationships where I've been deceived before, and it doesn't go away. Like it, I I try really hard not to take the wrong lessons from those things, right? Because it's easy to be like, well. Why trust anyone? Sure. Um, well, I'm, well, fucking, I'm jaded now. Right. Um, but it's not helpful for your yourself and your own sanity and things of that sort. Like, I like to think that after, let's say that I was Jace and we got together after nine years and we had that exchange. I'd like to think that that was the end of it. That was that was our way of finally closing the loop right on this relationship uh and we are allowed now to live the rest of our lives unburdened by the what ifs and the 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 weight of of what we had done i like that i like that reading of it a bunch when you get that moment in the last scene where jay says to judith slash natalie essentially poses the question of do you do you ever think about what our lives would have been like if I hadn't left again that yeah. night um but then I think about like he wouldn't presumably he at least likes his kid hopefully <laughs> you know he wouldn't have had that life he wouldn't have his son yeah it would everything would be completely different and I don't think he would have fallen in love with his old flame and gotten married and lived that life for as long as he did and had that son and, and continue to be completely committed. Seems like completely committed to raising his son. He has him on weekdays. That's yeah. most of the week. Uh, you know, it, it, that that's the life he picked. He picked it for a reason. And up to a point, it seems like he found some fulfillment in it. Mm -hmm. So the best thing may, in fact, best thing for both of them may be, in fact, to use that last encounter as a way to to get closure right now he doesn't need that phone anymore. he's been talking to that old phone for like what nine years however yep. long it was uh that's that's somebody who very clearly and he talks about it uh, he makes it explicit is not ready to move on right doesn't know how to move on at different points there's the one question um that they that they both give the same answer to, which is yeah. essentially like that they it make it explicit. The, they don't know how to let the other go. Mm -hmm. And that actually, that probably is the single healthiest resolution to this story is after that last encounter, that closure has been attained. Yeah. So maybe they shoot emails back and forth every so often. I could totally see that happening, but that's probably a great deal healthier yeah. for both of them, not just for, for Jace, but for, for both of them. I feel like maybe that's the best possible outcome. I would hope so. That, yeah. I mean, but, you know, humans are messy. I assume that they, like, make out a bunch every so often. They meet up and they're like, hell yeah, hotel sex. And then, like, go on with their lives. Even smart people aren't that smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so part of me bringing this to the show was I also wanted to really talk about the bigger idea of love itself. I really wanted to kind of talk about our perspectives of what we think love is and what encapsulates it. Not just like romantic love, but love in general, like the concept, which is in the 
grand scheme of time, a fairly new concept. Um, you know, we we now associate it with marriage, and we uh, we have a, a very like r- overall romantic view of like, yeah, everyone falls in love, they get married and have kids, blah 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 blah. blah. But like, you know, love and marriage were separate for many many centuries, uh, millennia. In, in many cases, they still are. I mean, yes. Um, so I really wanted to kind of do kind of a deep dive on love. I, I, I went out to uh, a bunch of people on Twitter and Facebook uh, and asked, what is love to them? And so I'm going to read some of those. And then I think it'll be a nice way for us just to kind of talk about that. Also saying that like, whatever we talk about isn't disparaging other people's view of love. It's just oh, yeah. our own perspective. I know. I'm just, I want, I don't want people to be like, they're going to tell me my love is stupid. Uh, and that's not what we're Yeah, doing. no, we're, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about us. We're not, we're not throwing shade even by implication. Right. Uh, certainly not intentionally. Of course not. Um, so I'm going to read these out. Uh, Future Tari, can we get a little bit of nice, nice music under these? Can we, can we get that? Thanks, Tari. Nathan Jackson says, My mom said to me, Love the one you love to serve. And that's always stuck with me. Basically, if you find you enjoy taking care of someone, and they you, then that's a good sign of strong love. I'm also a big believer of love languages as a form of understanding when someone is expressing love, but it may not be obvious to you as the recipient. His brother, Ben Jackson, said, To quote my dad, commitment and also what nathan said heather jacoby says love means teaching without judgment and learning without agenda every day i'm learning from people who love me enough to call me out on toxic behaviors or explore why i'm responding to certain things in a certain way and yeah love means a lot of shit to a lot of people but i love learning And I think the biggest act of love is patiently exposing someone to something they don't know and reveling in the weirdness of life with them. And to be very clear, you can ask me this question 500 times and you'll get 500 different answers. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Kay says, wanting to give this person everything while they ask for nothing. Mina Wahab says, love is wanting to make someone better and consistently improving your lives together while simultaneously accepting them for who they are. It's wanting the best for them, even if it means losing them in the process. Dan Minna says, love is an entirely personal experience. To love someone or something is to have them bring about feelings strong enough to form permanent attachment to them. We often become upset and create issues when we cannot separate the idea of love from the reality of them. Love lives inside of us, and asserting that someone's love is not real love is idiotic. We are given our ideas on how we should treat those we love early on in our lives, and those ideas only change when we see or experience something or someone profound enough to engender that change within us. Love, more than anything to me, is inspiring. It's the inspiration to move, to dance, to paint, or sing. It's the feeling that gives you pause when you've been moving so quickly. Rachel Turner says, love is listening and being listened to. It's being understanding and being understood. It's a reciprocal giving. Our good friend Ruth Ann sent us a a sweet little, I want to call it a poem by Maya Angelou. All right. Ooh, are you ready? Look at at us. We're giving you a little splash of 
culture. Hell yeah. Tari, you know what to do. A, a little <laughs> splash of culture in our podcast, ostensibly <laughs> about culture. Just a little bit, though. We, we promised you'd get what you came for eventually. Yeah. We'll get back to the, the poopy, the poop pauses soon. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to the pee pauses. Um, <clears throat> I've learned that no matter what happens or how bad it seems today, life does go on and it will be better tomorrow. I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle these things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. I've learned that regardless of your relationship with your parents, you'll miss them when they're gone from your life. I've learned that making a living is not the same as making a life. I've learned that life sometimes gives you a second chance. I've learned that you shouldn't go through life with a catcher's mitt on your both hands. You need to be able to throw something back. I've learned that whatever I decide something is an open heart, I usually make the right decision. I've learned that even when I have pains, I don't have to be one. I've learned that every day you should reach out and touch someone. People love a warm hug or just a friendly pat on the back. I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. Maya Angelou, motherfuckers. Darcy Royland says, <laughs> Someone once said that love honors the sovereignty of the soul, and it hasn't left me yet. And Yell Teagle says, It's a trap! <laughs> but that's those are different people's views of love and they vary and and they i mean there's a uniting idea that like love is something that is both given and received in different ways and it ultimately comes from within and is received internally as well and it it changes us and it it moves us and and essentially ultimately is try to something to try to make us better as people hopefully hopefully so that's the idea. Like, what do you feel like love is? That's a big question. So first off, I really liked all of those responses. Me and, too. And in trying to answer that question, I want to try to not be redundant if I can avoid it. So I would say all of that. Yeah. All of those answers. Nah, dude, crib it. But, the, but, but honestly, it's yes, it's yes, it's commitment. Whether or not... Um, because there are different, obviously different kinds of love. There's romantic love. There's the love that good friends have. You can love, you know, we love movies, wh whatever it is. It's it commitment, yes, but commitment almost sounds in some contexts like you're doing your duty. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like love is entirely willful commitment. You know what I mean? Like not, you can willfully do your duty. So let me try and be a little <laughs> bit more specific. Uh, it's, it's willful but it is something that you're drawn to you're drawn to that commitment you know it's not something that you're even actively choosing to do you are drawn to that that attachment and you are drawn to it in an unselfish way yes hopefully you you receive in your relationship hopefully if you are in a romantic relationship you're treated with love and respect and so you are receiving that but desiring to offer it as well and offer it without an agenda, without any sort of tit for tat, give or take scorekeeping type thing happening in your mind. But also I think we, ha I mean, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. For me, it's about understanding, especially as we start to get a little bit older, understanding that, that no matter how in love you are, 
it's always going to be work. If you want to make a loving relationship work long term, especially as I was saying before, if the idea is you do both grow and change, but you're doing so together, it's work. And so, yes, all of the answers that we got, I agree with completely. Those were really wonderful answers. By the way, thank you to everybody who answered that question. Yeah. All of that. But for me, it was about, you know, how do I know that I'm in a relationship with somebody who's right for me? Right. Yeah. My answer to that question is on top of everything that was, that was offered by listeners. I found somebody that I genuinely want to do the work with, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, that to me, and maybe that sounds, I don't know if that sounds as uh, uh, substantive to somebody else, but that's, that's the heart of it for me. Right. I, it, it, will always be work. There are going to be days where it's really hard. You're going to fight. You're going to butt heads. You're going to make each other upset sometimes. Feelings will occasionally get hurt. Do you really genuinely want to put in the work with the person you're with? Because if not, they may not be right for you. And there's a decent chance that you'll both find that out the hard way. Right. Whereas if you know, if both parties know that they are, yes, they're in it, they're committed, the feelings are there, the the selfless give and take is there, when things get hard, do you know you want to work your ass off with this person uh, to get it right? That is maybe an, a somewhat unromantic way to frame it, but to me, that's that's what it is. I feel like we got we got some really big romantic takes on love and some of the answers you read. So some of it, and again, yes, all of that. <laughs> but to me, there there has to be a slightly call it a pragmatic aspect to it as well, which is exactly what I'm saying. Right. When shit gets hard, do you know that you're both going to show up and do the work? And that makes sense. I think I agree, but I think that for me. There's a, a difference between like the the pragmaticness of maintaining a relationship and the idea of love. Like to me, love as a as a concept is a it's an instinctual feeling. Right. Ooh. Well, I still even like I agree with you, but even then, this is like I, I'm I'll look all of the all of the really romantic conceptualizations of love. I'm there for, but love too. Love too is also basically synapses firing in the brain, right? You know? Well, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying that in that like I'm. As if anyone who knows me, I'm not a romantic in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> That's not me, buddy. I feel like I used. I really used to be. When I was when I was younger, I feel like I really used to be, and over time that faded. Well, the the idea of romanticism is largely based on fantasy yes it's based on these these fantastical concepts that we've been putting in literature and and societal things that we share amongst each other um and a lot of them are ideals they're based off of how we perceive the way that like love and relationships work or or how we should be treated within the the paradigm of a relationship Mm -hmm. um and not a lot of them are necessarily based on uh the, the the gritty reality and and the the messiness of what actual relationships are about right um which i mean i love i love the idea of romance and love and things like that and like 
the idea of these nice intimate moments between two people and the idea of being able to share all of yourself with someone is nice. Yes. Um, I mean, but like that is, it's something that we as, a, as people, when we are actually forming these relationships have to work through in that we have to separate what our expectations are from the reality of whatever that relationship is. Yes. And when I say that, like, I mean that we all go into relationships thinking that they are supposed to be a certain way. Um, whether if you're like, man, are supposed to pay for everything and, and I'm going to be a housewife for, or I'm going to be a houseman and, and, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to have children by 30 and right. I'm going to put up a tupa. Um, <laughs> yes, or that, whatever that societal expectation right. that you are given from, from your birth or your parents or whatever lineage, um, wherever your source comes from. But like, you're also counter you're also kind of rubbing that against someone else's expectations yep. and trying to figure out either how to compromise or how to i guess decouple that and find someone who actually has the same view if that's what you're looking for or occasionally so, occasionally to realize that sometimes the thing that you're insisting to yourself and to the other person that you need I need to be treated this way I need you to do xyz if you open your mind a little bit, it's totally possible that you don't, you can make a concession there and you right. don't actually need it. It's just an adjustment and you can get used to it. Now, of course, that all depends on the specific context of your relationship because there are contexts in which that might not necessarily be a good thing if you're putting aside your actual genuine needs. Yeah. But sometimes people, you know, people are very often beholden to their conditioning, you mm -hmm. know, and not all conditioning is good conditioning. Right. Not all lessons learned are the right lessons or positive lessons or healthy lessons. Yeah. So occasionally you also, in my opinion, need to be willing to let go of some stuff. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a painful process, but sometimes that can be an incredibly healthy and necessary one as well. Yeah. Again, your mileage may vary depending on the context of your relationship and what we are talking about specifically letting go of. Right. But I feel like that's another important, that's a, that's a third possibility in the paradigm you're describing. Right. And I think that that's something that both Dan and Mina had hit, had hit upon is this idea of um, it like love in a way being something that helps you grow as a person, but it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily related to something that you are always going to that's always going to be a part of your life. Right. Um, I was reading an article, oh, I want to say about a year ago. I don't have any credits on this, so I'm sorry, guys. If you're looking for information about it, I don't have it. Um, because for for a good while, I I was questioning, like, what are the what's the point of relationships? Um, like, why do we have them as people? Um, a couple couple different things. Some societally ingrained, some biologically ingrained. Right. I mean, yes, we are pack animals, and so we are not we're not created to live solitary lives. Right. Um, as you know, any solitary confinement study will tell you, like that's not how our brains are made to be uh, in this world. Um, but like part of it, part of this. Uh, this explanation or one of the explanations given this article uh, was that essentially we are, we, we form these relationships to 
one, test, test our own viewpoints um, and ultimately to grow from the, from that aspect, whether it is someone, you know, or someone or something um, giving you a new perspective or you learn something from it, or it pushes you to do something that you've never done before. Mm -hmm. These relationships are the way that we on a, on a micro level are able to evolve on an individual level, which ultimately helps our species and our society grow on a macro level. Yeah. Um, Which I really, I really like, I like that aspect of it because it is, it's, it has enough pragmatic uh, ideology that I can take it in as a robot person, but (laughs) it also like has a, a bigger, I wouldn't call it romantic feel, but like a, a larger scale idea that is bigger than oneself. Right. And, and I want to make it clear that my answer to the question was largely pragmatic. That doesn't mean that I'm not there for the more romantic, idealized concepts that a lot of other people would use to answer that question. Right. But since since we we put a lot of words to that aspect, I also I also wanted to highlight my own pragmatism where it's concerned. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I think... I'm not, well, I was about to say I'm not unromantic, but I guess that's really up to other people to, to let me know. Right. But I, I, I think you're romantic. Do you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've never, I've never brought you flowers. I don't like flowers. And that means so much that you've never I know that about killed, you. Right. <laughs> you've never killed plants for my sake. <laughs> um, but, but to me. I think like you, I do tend to process things either. Okay. I either tend to process things first and foremost intellectually, or whenever I'm processing something emotionally first, I feel as though it's become a, it started as a need and now it's become something that I find genuinely constructive. Yeah. I intellectually interrogate my own emotions. That's Mm. how, that's how I'm best able to check myself. Like some days, some days I'll be real mad just for no, just free-floating irritability and you know it'll be in response to something somebody said or did or or just things that i don't feel are going the way i want them to be going and i'll get crazy crazy irritable and maybe a younger version of myself would just be just be pissed off and and think that i was right to be and and proceed accordingly whereas uh the version of me that exists now hopefully a little bit more enlightened I try to interrogate it, figure out, do you understand what's bothering you? Do you understand that it, nobody is necessarily to blame? Do you understand that it's very easy if you don't check yourself for that frustration, irritability, anger to become misdirected? So I think through that process, I'm getting better and better and better all the time at getting out ahead of those feelings and reincorporate them in a way that even if the feeling itself is unproductive and unhealthy where I'm able to process through it and get out of it hopefully a little bit faster a little bit more efficiently and you talk about ideally both ideally and pragmatically in a strong healthy relationship you are helping each other grow I feel like that is a skill that I really have begun to learn I, I believe as a product of the relationship that I'm in, I feel that I am a much, 
I was always a very talky person, but I feel like I am a much better communicator than I used to be. I feel like I am a much better listener than I used to be. Mm. I, I don't remember what my point was, but that all seems pertinent. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm about the same, though, like, I, I've, in recent years, I've started trying to vet my feelings through other people so that like because I've I spent I feel like I spent a lot of my life having to walk myself through my own feelings and it kind of leads you to kind of only to only really consider your own perspective mm-hmm. um, for me well I, I feel like our our culture has shifted aggressively in that direction overall right we it's it's almost a trite thing to say at this point but we have become a culture of hardcore narcissists but and but that's like something i've had to try to figure out how to get through like i feel like i've spent a lot of my life being fairly self-centered because i've had to really spend a lot of my existence looking inward mm-hmm. um and so now i i i'm lucky enough that i have a close enough relationship with my roommate uh, to if I'm feeling something and I don't know if I'm, if it is the right way to feel, if there is a right way to feel, I, I, I'm able to kind of open up and, and go, here's a thing that I'm feeling. What do you, what is your perspective? And and get that feedback and learn from that experience, which is what I think is great about love. Right. And that's something I try to do as well. Like I will go to, sometimes it's my girlfriend, but sometimes I'll go to a close friend, right? And I will, whether I'm venting my frustrations or I'm just trying to walk myself through the emotional process that I'm going through, I will put a bunch of stuff out there and then I will genuinely ask, does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Like to a, to a, a third party, an outside observer, I, I gave you the context. I told you how I'm feeling about it and how it's making me respond both voluntarily and otherwise. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Right. You know, and I feel like, yeah, that's helped me grow a lot too because a lot of the time the answer I get is, yeah, that makes sense. And that, that too can be especially like, like, like you're describing. I feel that I became very self-centered as well for the same reason circumstances dictated that I really had to go inward for many, 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 many formative years. Yeah. Uh, what happened with me is uh, as a, not necessarily a byproduct of that, but something that's tangentially related is when you go inward so often and you find that your own communication skills uh, become a little bit lacking as a result, Mm -hmm. it becomes very, very easy to doubt yourself, to doubt your instincts, to doubt your thoughts, to doubt your feelings, to doubt that you're sometimes that you're not a crazy person. Right. And it can be incredibly empowering to go and lay bare your feelings between, between yourself and someone that you trust and to be told like what you're feeling is valid and you're, and and it's okay for you to own this feeling. Don't look, if you're mad, don't go hit anybody, but (laughs) It, it's okay for you to feel this and the kind of trust that is the foundation of an exchange like that, both both A, being willing to be the person who is laying out their feelings in an honest way, an honest and vulnerable way, yeah. and also to be the person who's there for that person and will listen without expectation of personal gain, yeah. who will listen and respond and connect. 
that is love. I mean, that's that's love. It's not love every time necessarily. Sometimes it really just does become pragmatism, but that's that's love. That's a kind of love and that exists in romantic relationships and it exists in friendly relationships as well, just being that willing to be present for someone else. Right. And ideally it's mutual, that's best case scenario. Unfortunately, as as we all know, some people love intensely and it's one-sided. Yeah. Uh, ideally, it is mutual. But that that's the foundation of it, right? Like, yeah. And, and like you were saying before, that idea is both romantic and pragmatic. Exactly. And to even like piggyback off of that, it I, I feel like it also is nice even when you get to that moment of expressing yourself and you tell this other person and they're like, you're wrong. And having someone who is who you trust enough and who is open with you enough to tell you to your face that your pers- not your perspective, but like maybe what the way that you're considering things isn't necessarily the best way. Because uh, I think Heather Jacoby had said this in hers that the ability for someone to call you out on your toxic behaviors helps you to grow and and to learn the empathy within that moment, trying to understand why the person is behaving this way and why it affects you the way it does. Right. Um, and so like that in and of itself also builds you. Yes. As it has built us. This is the <laughs> retrospective that's introspective. Um, I, I want to uh, do, the, do the first six of the 36 questions, Lex. Okay. Um, it's going to be fun, and we're going to be at least one-sixth more in love with each other. Okay? Are you ready? I don't know if I'm ready to be even more in love with you than I am. I mean, well, too bad, because you're about to be. <laughs> uh, so question number one. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you answering first, or am I answering first? Uh, you can answer first. Okay. Uh, number one. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? Um, clarification question. Yes. Does it have to be a real person? Or can it be a fictional person? Uh, fictional. Or it, you, anybody. Anybody. Okay, that makes it harder. Does uh, it? Um, let's see. You know what? First place First place my head goes is uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Dale Cooper. Okay. The protagonist of Twin Peaks. Uh, earlier earlier in the series, before things get like real, real funky. Um Largely because, A, I just find him delightful, but yeah. also because we, we have things in common. We both really enjoy coffee, for example. Uh, but I would talk to him. If I could talk to a fictional character, it would probably be him because we could also talk. I could talk about his experiences in the FBI, which would probably be really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I could talk to him about Tibetan philosophy, which is also really fascinating. I could talk to him about weird, freaky, paranormalish stuff, which would be a lot of fun. So that's my first. I, I'll go home later and I'll be like, fuck, that was the right. I had this person. I should have said Thanos. And I'd be like, bro, why you do all that? And he's like, I'm so mad all the time. <laughs> That's why they call me the Mad Titan. Oh, um, I mean, you can always change your answers at any given moment. Just text me. Um, Pass me think. the Brussels sprouts, or I will <laughs> bathe the starways in your blood. Whoa, dude, that's a little. You have them, man. Like you. Can, <laughs> what I find out about that is less the threat upon my life and more that you can reach them from where you're sitting. Right. Also, like he could just teleport them into his gullet. <laughs> 
Um, but it's a power move. You know what, though? If you have Thanos as a dinner guest and he's got all the stones, all he's got to do is snap his fingers and you'll never have to make another grocery trip again. Yeah. And like, think about how much money you'd save on. I'm changing my answer. Thanos. Okay. I accept your answer. Because if he's my if he's my dinner guest and he, he accepted my invitation and came over willingly, maybe we're buds. Yeah. Or at least neighbors that like we don't know each other that well. But in passing, I'm always like, hey, Thanos. And he's like, hey. <laughs> you new to this farm? Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, so that's actually, yes. That's But that's not altruistic. That's not that's not a good love answer because Why I'm really, you? I'm looking for personal gain here. I'm looking for Thanos to just create an infinite supply of no, but the like, the the purpose of the questions is just for you to be real, bro. It's yeah. for you to just lay bare your soul, you know. So it's not supposed to be about like you trying to impress me. It's just you. You got to be you, bro. Because like I guess too, because the the in my head, I still I still am living with my girlfriend in this scenario as I do now. Okay. So she's just present by default because she also lives there. Yeah. So if if Thanos or whoever the shit is a dinner guest of mine, it's a dinner guest of both of us, which is if if you're if you're listening, don't get mad at me that I didn't say you because you're already there. <laughs> yeah, it's a dinner party, bro. Um um my answer Oh man, I'm going to bring the bring it I'm bringing it down. My answer is my parents. Okay. Um, I learned a lot about them after their passing, and I'd really like to interrogate them about those things. Okay. Um, yeah. This is definitely They've... a more uh, heartfelt, vulnerable answer than what I gave. <laughs> um, hey, bro, I'm laying bare my soul. Right. I'm laying it all down. Um, but also, I would have dinner with Judith. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right. Question number two. Yes. Would you like to be famous? If so, in what way? My answer. Yes. To I, the second question. Yes. Okay. I don't want to be famous. Um, I would like to be successful, but never famous because fame is a trap. Fame is uh, something that will uh, consume your life and, and ultimately uh, you become uh, a commodity and you become something that people consume Whereas like success is something that you is that's internally generated or defined. Um, and it's something that you can spend your life appreciating. Yes. Whereas like fame feels more external. My answer would be pretty similar to that. Fame sounds awful. Not being able to go out to eat without getting swamped by people, that doesn't sound great to me. Yeah. I do as well, as I think many of us do, aspire to success. The type of work that we do, arts and entertainment, once you get to a certain level of success, people do know who you are, and frequently some level of fame does come along with it. If you get, you know, if you're one of like 20 people alive at one time, right. that that gets to that point. But there's a really great middle ground there where like, say, uh, there are so many character actors that you might recognize, but aren't famous. So one or two people might see them on the street and be like, oh, you're that guy. But for the most part, they could they could go out and have a meal without getting mobbed. Right. That's, I feel like, kind of the sweet spot for me is success. Um 
recognition, like, yes, of course, everybody, I think, wants a little bit of recognition for the work that they do, especially if it's work that they're passionate about. Yeah. But fame sounds miserable. Yeah. Though, I would, I, if, all right, here's the one condition at which I would be famous. Um, I would go back to, let's say, 2012, 2013. Mm. Um, I would become YouTube internet famous get a few million dollars just for like having a Coke in the background of my video. Yep. And then I just disappear. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Fame for a hot second. Yeah. 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 That's, be, that's, that's my fame. And then be like, where'd that guy go? And cuts to you buying your third mansion. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, obviously if I were to be famous, it would be, you know, be arts and entertainment centric, but right. I don't want, fa- I want to get close enough to fame brush it with my fingertips Mm. Mm -hmm. that's kind of where i want to be like i don't want to be famous i want to be successful enough that i'm um i get the perks without the baggage right makes sense yeah um okay question number three before making a phone call do you ever rehearse what you're going to say why sometimes because i psych myself out and i i Totally through my own weird neurotic mental processes, I become insecure in the moment about the conversation that I'm going to have. So I start running through, okay, I got to say this, I got to say this, and I'm probably going to say it this way. Ironically enough, the calls that I rehearse ahead of time seem to go the worst. (laughs) The ones where I'm mostly just winging it and not thinking about it at all tend to go way better. So I've learned to stop doing that, but I still find myself, I don't walk around saying stuff out loud, but I do find myself sometimes in my head going over and over and over. Okay. I got to say this. I got to say that. Oh my God, this sounds hard. I have to say this. I have to say this. Right. And then I end up tripping over my feet. I think because I went through that process. Right. Because it's, 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 there's a rigidness to it. Whereas like you don't know necessarily what the other person's going to do. And so like, but you're already in there. But the same, same way that like you can't, if you're doing improv, you can't pre-plan anything. You can't be like, okay, I definitely want to get this in there for sure because you don't know what the other person's going to give you. Yeah. And if you're so rigidly connected to that idea of like, well, it, it ha- this has to be said or I have to do this this way, then when something gets thrown at you that you're not necessarily prepared for, you're oftentimes in a position of going, oh, I did not plan for this. Right. I should not have rehearsed. Yep. I'm kind of the same in that I used to uh rehearse like if if there was something specific i needed to get across usually it's like for business stuff like if if i'm supposed to convey a a, a address or like specific information then i would be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna say these things because like this business needs them um but now if if like I know I need specific information, I'll just have it on a note somewhere and I'll just like look at it and, and read it like I'm improving. I'd be like, yeah, 1573 Sherman Way, Wallaby, Sydney. Uh, yeah, Wallaby yeah. Way, Sydney. I forget the number. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But, um, but not so much anymore. Um, all right. Question number four. What would constitute a perfect day for you? I'm going to answer first because yeah. it's my turn. Okay. Um, I I feel like there's no such thing as a perfect day. That's why it's a hard but question. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I have a lot of really nice days. Um, 
and it depends on what is what I need at any given moment. So sometimes a perfect day can be literally just laying in my bed, reading something while the sun is is flowing through my my window. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a perfect day is just hanging out with a bunch of people doing something stupid. Um, other times a perfect day is driving a long distance in my car and like listening to things and, and, and just kind of like figuring my life out. Um, other days, a perfect day is when I, I get a really great idea and I, I basically trap someone in a small space and tell them the whole idea (laughs) and, and very quickly and, and, to the point where like it's not about them it's about me saying this idea and they go that's a lot but you're very passionate about it um sometimes that's a perfect day i i feel that uh, i i think any part any perfect day that i could come up with would have to include an element of being able to share things that i'm super passionate about with other people yeah hopefully they're into it hopefully i'm not just <laughs> trapping them in a small box um but but yeah i don't feel like there's one there's one answer that's going to feel totally satisfactory. Yeah. Uh, I feel like location is important. I want to be in a relaxed environment. Like the, the image that popped into my head was like the, the, a balcony overlooking a beach. Yeah. Like where you can hear the waves. Like if you, when you go to sleep, you can keep a window open and you can hear the waves all night, something like that in terms of locale. And then being relaxed, maybe we have somewhere to go. Maybe we don't, I can, I can read, I can, I can, you know, like ideally there's like one real good meal somewhere in this day. And it's, it's leisurely and hopefully getting to spend time with people that I care about that, uh, where I feel like there is that, that mutual give and take in the relationship and, and being able to share the experience. Like, I don't think there's any version of a perfect day for me that is solitary. Yeah. There are plenty of good days for me that are solitary some some of my favorite days are solitary days but i don't know if there's a version of a perfect day for me that i don't share with anybody yeah so that would be a big part of it whatever whatever specific activities we're engaged in nice peaceful location um and being able to share share it with other people sharing passion sharing like good food good drinks whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And I'll probably watch a movie at some point. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, All right. Question number five. When did you last sing to yourself and to someone else? To someone else? I've, it's been a while. Okay. To, To myself? Not today. Not within the last couple of days. Cause what I'll do sometimes like, uh, and I'm still working on, I used to, so I play guitar a bit and I sing, but it's been a really long time since I felt confident enough to do it in front of other people. Uh, I used to all the time. And then I think I let myself get way out of practice and I didn't feel like I was that good at it anymore. And now for the past several years, whenever I have hours to myself, I'll usually pick it up and play with it and I'll, I'll you know, play and I'll sing and, and whatnot, but I do that for myself. It's not something that I would ever actually pursue, but it's something that I get a lot of gratification from. Yeah. So that I will sing in that respect, I will sing for, for, and to myself with relative frequency. Okay. Um, I, I sing to myself every day. I think that like literally 
before the moment you walked into the door, I was like singing and having a good time. Um, and the last time I sang to someone else was probably right before we started when you said a line from uh, oh, the from Gorilla, Gorilla song. song. And I was like, I'm finishing this. Um, so singing is very exciting to me. Yeah, I we were talking it. about how that song Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas is a song that when I hear a line from it, my brain will finish the rest of the song. Yeah. There must have been a time recently where I referenced a song and my girlfriend was like, wait, which one is that? How does that go? And I like real quick rattled off a line or something from it. Yeah. But I don't remember when. That's really interesting considering how often I do sing privately. I genuinely can't tell you off the top of my head the last time I sang for somebody else. Interesting. You want to give us some bars right now? Not really. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I used to do musical theater a ton. Like that used to be my thing. Yeah. Uh, when I was much younger, I thought of myself way more as a singer who acts uh-huh. than an actor who sings. Right. And over time, the two slid past each other. On that on that axis. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait to get you uh, get you some sweet vocals on this jam. One day, maybe there'd have yeah. to be there'd have to be a reason. You know. Yeah, I'm gonna trick you into it. It's fine. I don't think you're gonna trick me. Oh, I'm gonna do it. I don't. You gotta mark get up, my words. You gotta get up pretty early in the morning to outsmart because I don't sleep at night really. So I'm probably awake. I will already looking out for people trying to do me. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's 5 a.m. I haven't slept because I may be being fooled at this moment. <laughs> um, okay, last question. If you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? Okay, uh, my answer is arguably a bit of a cheat, right? Because mental deterioration is very often the byproduct of physical deterioration in the brain. Okay. So I would say body because presumably, unless the premise of the question is one is definitely going to go regardless, I would say body because if I maintain a young, healthy body, there is far less physical deterioration, which by extension would presumably mean there's far less mental deterioration. Okay. There, are of course, there are of course exceptions, but if we talk about the mind starting to falter as you age a lot of that does have to do with physical processes in the brain that don't typically impact somebody with the body of a 30 year old yeah so that would be my answer i don't know if i'm if i'm allowed to cheat that way i mean i'll accept it but that's that's my thought is i could i could have it all <laughs> um i would go for mind mostly because my body's already garbage and so like <laughs> reducing it back to 30 like i ain't gonna do shit i'm still gonna be lactose intolerant i'm still gonna be caffeine sensitive like oh i might as well be able to still think and exist as opposed to just being like yep you're a big stinky farty smelly guy but what if but what if the body what if the 30 year old whose body you had was like uh like a hemsworth but i'm assuming it's my body at 30 um which like wasn't great then it ain't great now it's not gonna be better you know i don't know maybe it's the optimal version of it and all you gotta do is like drink some kale smoothies that's not but that's not what the question says it's like the body of a 30 year old i've been 30 it's not amazing however the question does say a 30 year old and not you at 30 
do I get to steal? So I get to steal someone's thirty-year-old body. I feel like I would be like, yeah, give me the body of thirty-year-old Chris Hemsworth. All right, so I'm just gonna be, uh, I'm just gonna be get outing people. I'm gonna put my brain <laughs> in that sexy thirty-year-old's body. Yep, it's true. I feel like there's a loophole in the question. I guess so. Because the question isn't if you could have your body as a 30-year-old. It's if you could have a 30-year-old's body. And I, I would assume that most people would interpret that as your body at 30. Uh-huh. But it doesn't state that explicitly. That's true. But also, the monkey's paw situation is like, you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want the body of a 30-year-old. And they just dump a husk of a 30-year-old <laughs> down. And they're like, enjoy. <laughs> you figure out what to do with this. <laughs> Oh, man. It's a, this is actually a list of questions devised by the mafia. <laughs> um, so at the end of the 36 questions, you're supposed to stare each other in the eye for four minutes. That's not good radio. Um, I'm going to... No. So <laughs> uh, we're going to do it for a whole minute. And while we do, listen to this ad. Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Lex Michael, are you in love with me now? <laughs> it feels so uncomfortable. <laughs> I uh, no, it's it's funny because I I realized a while ago there was a, a big stretch of time where I was not thinking about it actively, but eye contact was difficult for me. Mm. I'm way better about it now, but for a while it it was. But I I discovered in this moment I am not so much better with it that. <laughs> That wasn't uncomfortable. Okay. I mean, nothing, nothing personal. I no, feel like that fine. would be very uncomfortable with pretty much anybody. Yeah. I mean, but it's supposed to tear down them walls, baby. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. Get out your comfort zone, my dude. Fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, cool. Well, uh, any last words about 36 questions or the 36 questions about love? Uh I was so very pleasantly surprised by this three-part musical podcast that we were talking about a while ago. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, love is very complicated. Yeah. Very complicated. Uh, that's what I got. I don't All know. Right. That's what I got. I, I am curious to... I may I may at some point pull up the 36 questions and pose them to my significant other. That'd be fun. It, maybe. It'll be fun. I, could, I feel like it could go either way. Maybe. But it's all it's it's complicated and it's wonderful and it's painful and it because right like the one thing that we didn't necessarily talk about too much we talked about vulnerability but when you love you're opening yourself up to the possibility of tremendous pain yeah and it's it's being so so powerfully drawn to a person a place at nouns it's being drawn to a noun so intensely that you are willing to take that leap right yeah i mean but it's only through it's only through doing so that you can truly like 
grow. It's it's the same idea of like if you equate love to a muscle, like you can only build muscle by um, working it out. And the soreness that you feel after working out is your muscles literally tearing themselves apart and rebuilding themselves. Yes. But that's the only way to progress. Right. And that's love. The truth is, though, we spent a lot of time on this show talking about love. We expressed our thoughts about it. We heard from a a bunch of people expressing their thoughts and feelings about it. But we could talk about this for the next four days straight. Mm -hmm. And we won't have a solid, concrete, universally applicable definition of what love is. Love is, love, on top of everything else, love is intensely enigmatic. Yeah. And and very, very... Subjective. Subjective and, and variable and complicated. I don't know. I feel like the Bible gave a very specific definition of love. And that's the one that I follow. Love is kind. Love is smooth. Love is chunky sometimes. Love Are is... you describing peanut butter? <laughs> sometimes mixed with jelly. Love goes great on bread. Uh... <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad you liked the 36 Questions podcast musical. Um, I really uh i really like it and every time i listen to it i feel like i find something new in it um especially with the way that their the interactions are the way it's acted the way that the uh sound design happens like it is so immersive that it it's almost new, like fresh each time you listen yeah um and i also just like the pioneering of this new format and this new way to express yourself in a, in, in a way that is openly available to other people. Um, we, we podcast because it's a way of us connecting with people that we don't get to see on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And it's a way for us to share the things that we feel. And I like the idea that all these different medias are finding their ways into podcasting and, and finding ways to, essentially adapt themselves into this into this format that people can consume uh on a on a very easy and accessible me- uh platform mm-hmm. uh and i love that aspect of it. and i also love that it's something that can make me cry because I, I love crying i love <laughs> feeling so emotionally drained and being like oh i just looked inwards and it feels so good <laughs> because emotions are good for you um, and I, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's how I feel about this play, uh, slash musical slash podcast. Um, and also, uh, that's how I feel about love. I, I, I love being able to feel it and I love being able to express it to my friends and, the, and, and my significant others and my family and things of that sort, because I feel like I've, I spent so much of my life not being able to right that now that i'm 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 free now that i've relinquished the chains of my own uh, burdens uh you know i can i can revel in it and i can experience it both personally and through other people which is great well put thanks um guys let us know your feelings about love let us know what you thought about uh, 36 questions. Let us know how you think Jace and Natalie turned out. 
Did they end up together? And what about Cooper? Did he ever get that orange juice he wanted? Who knows? Let us know um, at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. That's on Twitter. We're also on Instagram. We post pictures and things that we talk about. Um, and then also, if you want to, you can hit us up personally. Lex Michael, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. And you can find me at Tari J T A U R I. J-A-Y if you're listening to this on whatever your podcast platform may be uh, it would really help us out to leave a comment if you love what we're doing and a rating a review so other people can find us because as they say the best way of advertising is word of mouth Um, so till next week this has been the retrospective that's introspective and now you have a new perspective uh as as we said in church when I was a kid, that's love. After three days, he rose from the grave and <laughs> saved a wretch like you and me. That's love. Hey, you just sang to me. That's love. All right, sing it back now. No. Okay. <laughs>